Good evening, my friends out there on the interwebs. Welcome to Line by Line with Pastor Josh Hawkins. Always a great, great pleasure to be with you as we journey through the Bible verse by verse. I am excited about um, James chapter 4, which is where we're going tonight. I hope you are too. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, then we'll we'll see what Jimmy has for us. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your beautiful word. Uh, I pray that as we dive into this word today, that that uh, we would hear your voice. That you would speak truth to us and the truth would set us free. I ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, his name was actually Jacob, not James, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Greek version of his name is James, and uh, we know him as James, so we're going to leave, we're going to continue to refer to him as James. Okay, so... Uh, and not Jimmy. I'm sorry about that. I just, I got familiar, you know, I just did just happened. Um, okay. We're in James chapter four. Uh, and, uh, last time we went through James chapter three, where we talked a lot about the tongue, the mouth and, um, and it, it all kind of comes from the first chapter of James, where James says to us, if you, uh, pure and undefiled religion means looking after those who are less prosperous than us, uh, controlling what we say and remaining unstained by the world. And that was our conversation last time was about how our following Jesus affects the words that come out of our mouths, uh, which is a big topic and an important one. And worth an entire chapter of the Bible, um, at least, if not more. Um, but uh, now we're getting to James chapter 4. I mean, we're almost done. There's only five chapters in James. Kind of breaks my heart because I'm really enjoying this uh, <laughs> this study. Uh, and I hope you are too. But this, uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, it's been really good. So now James pivots a little bit. And he ended the last uh, the last study. Uh with um, t talking about wisdom and the wisdom that comes from above. And, and he encourages those who are wise among the body of Christ uh, to, to uh, inhabit that with the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that's from above, which is pure and peace loving and gentle and compliant, full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism or hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. That's how he ended the last chapter. So now as we jump into this chapter, I completely forgot to read this, the chapter to you. Forgive me. Uh, let's go ahead and read it now. James chapter 4 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet, but cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses, 
Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think that without reason that it or do you think it's without reason the scriptures say that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Wow. Okay. Well, that's not the end of the chapter, but that's where we're going to stop. I think for tonight, I'd be surprised if we got further than that. Uh, so verses one through 11 here. Um, what is the source of wars and fights among you? That's how he begins. What is the source of wars and fights among you? So obviously there have been some, some difficulty. There's been some conflict in the early church. And James wants to go after that. He wants to talk about that. He, uh, he, he is contrasting this with the wisdom that is peace loving and, and, uh, and, and, you know, that he just described in the last verse that this is a contrast of that. Um, if we inhabit wisdom in that way, we won't have wars among us. But what is the opposite of that? What uh, What is the source of the wars and fights among you? And if you've been a part of any church for very long at all, you've experienced conflict in the church. It happens because the church is full of human beings and human beings tend to fight. Now, sometimes it gets on a really high and difficult, ugly level, but sometimes it is, um, sometimes it's, you know, behind your hands, you know, that kind of, uh, well, you know, kind of a, kind of a conversation. Um, we never necessarily know which kind of, of conversation it's going to be, which kind of difficulty we're going to have. Um, but there's always some kind of conflict where there's humans involved, there's conflict and there's not really a way around that. Um, but James would say in order to begin to combat the conflict that's going on within the church, you need to know where it comes from. And so he's going to pinpoint that. And I love the question even, um, what, what is this? What, why are we always fighting with each other? That's a great question. And I think a lot of people don't ever ask it. I think people are just, you know, I don't know. She made me mad. That's why I'm fighting with her. He made me, he, he said something horrible. That's why I'm fighting with him. We don't, we don't ask if there's something deeper, something, um, more that we need to, uh, to, to, to pursue and figure out, um, uh, to, to end the strife between us. Uh, and James has an answer for that. Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? Okay. Uh, I, I'm always interested in, well, in the original language of these things, but this word cravings, the cravings that are at war within you. And that is, this word is really interesting because it's the root word of hedonism. Anybody, uh, do you know what hedonism means? It means the pursuit of pleasure for its own sake. 
that I'm pursuing pleasure because it's pleasure and not because it has a, a greater end on the out, you know, on that if I pursue this pleasure, it leads to something more beautiful than simply pleasure. No, this is, this is, <laughs> this is, uh, the pursuit of pleasure for its own sake, that to feel good is an end in itself. Um, and, uh, that's a really interesting we we all we all i think do that i think we all you know we do pursue pleasure for its own sake on a regular basis and james is saying that drive is not a drive that comes from the spirit of god and it isn't that we won't ever feel good when we're connected with the spirit of god of course we will but not for its own sake those the experience of pleasure in god is for God's sake and for our relation the for the sake of our relationship with God it's not for we don't pursue God just to make us feel better and and James is saying when that when the pursuit of feeling good is your only pursuit it leads to fights and strife amongst the church which is a really interesting insight. I wouldn't have necessarily gone there. Um, but the point of the, I mean, the, 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 the reality of this is that that pursuit does not come from being led by the spirit of God. And I feel like this whole section is directly connected to, well, obviously it is to, to the last chapter and to our discussion on the tongue, because this is another part of the Christian life of the of the human life that is not being controlled I don't like the word controlled but that we're uh, another part of us that isn't partnering with the spirit of god that's the that's the picture you know the dance this is another part of us that's not in the dance that's not partnering with the spirit of god and that's a problem and that part that James is naming is our desires Jesus longs to change our desires. He wants our whole heart. We talk often at our church about uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And that that fourfold dimension of the heart, uh, the fourfold dimension of, of, of the human emotional uh, uh, capacity looks like um, emotions, uh, 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 cognitive processes, thinking, thought, um, but also desire, will, desire. What do we want? And what we want has to be, ha has to be, uh, uh, touched by our love for God. Our love for God should shift the, the things we desire. It should shift the things we want. The things we want should be moved by our love for Jesus. Now, I'm going to get, we're going to get there in a minute to a little bit more about that. But first, we also need to recognize that this, that James isn't talking, he's not taking sides in an argument here. He's not talking about you wanted this and you wanted that and these per people are right and these people are wrong. Um, that's how we usually, that's how we tend to understand arguments. It's how we tend to understand disagreements that one person is right and one person is wrong and the leadership needs to come behind the one that's right. 
James isn't going, isn't taking sides in an argument. James's problem is with the argument, not the con, not, not the fact that there is, that there is a difference of opinion. That's okay. The fact of, uh, but, but the way they're carrying out conflict is wrong. The way they're carrying out conflict is broken and it is shaped by the world and the reason that the way they carry out conflict is wrong is because the thi- the the motive behind that conflict is wrong. Okay, so each so you have Christians in conflict with one another and it's ugly. It's an ugly conflict. He says you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. That's in the next verse. It's ugly conflict. It's conflict that doesn't hesitate to harm one another. And James says that that kind of conflict doesn't come out of a, of desires that are born of the Spirit. Desires that are born of the Spirit are going to draw us all together. So you may believe that you're right about this. I don't know, maybe you are. But the way you're carrying out the conflict proves that the motive behind it is not of the Spirit of God. And that's a huge deal, and that's kind of a scary thing. I mean, that's kind of that's that's some that's an idea that might that might be a little deeper than we normally think about how Christian conflict goes on. But when Christian conflict isn't being carried out correctly, what we what it reveals to us is that the the motive behind that conflict is corrupt. It is born of the world and of desires that aren't given to us by the Spirit of God. Because the desires that come from the Spirit of God will teach us to love one another. We'll get there in a minute. But if you think backwards to the to the way he describes heavenly wisdom, just in the last few verses, heavenly wisdom, um, I'm going to read it again. Heavenly wisdom is first of all pure okay such okay if you have any who is i'm going to read from verse 13 of chapter 3 who is who is wise and has understanding among you he should work show his works by good conduct and wisdom's gentleness but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart don't brag and deny the truth so this is the this is the desire that James is still talking about. You know, these verse and and chapter divisions sometimes make it difficult for us to follow the whole argument. Um, but this is the same thing. He's coming. He's saying, if you're if you're ha- if you have the wisdom of God, uh, the wisdom that then it won't result in envy and selfish ambition. Okay, the wisdom of God does not result in envy and selfish ambition. And that kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Okay, so the the motive behind the conflict that's going on between two Christians is either heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom. Neither one of you is being stupid, perhaps, but but uh, we're both we are arriving at the thing that we want via a process of thought. And that process of thought is either inspired by the Spirit of God or it's inspired by 
by uh, something else, <laughs> the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The system of this world. And he says, the if this wisdom, this idea of yours, this desire that you have, something that you want to see happen, if that's really coming from the Spirit of God, it won't result in bitter envy and selfish ambition. And, and a clear way to know if a desire that exists in your heart, in your mind, comes from God or not, is to figure out what happens if that desire is hindered. If your desire is hindered, and because it's hindered, it produces envy and selfish ambition, then that desire, at least in part, is being inspired by earthly, unspiritual, demonic power. Okay? But, he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom from above, is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism or hypocrisy. Okay, so that picture, the pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, we'll just stick with that. I'm going to, we'll, we'll stick with that, with that list. Okay, pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits. We'll stick, we'll stick with that, with uh that particular uh, 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 list, right? And he says, what is the source of these fights? It's the cravings uh, that exist within you, the desires that exist within you. If they come from the Spirit of God, uh, it's simple. They're going to produce, the, they're going to look like peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruit. Are you following me? But if the designs and the desires of your own heart produce bitterness and envy and ambition, selfish ambition, they're not from the Spirit of God. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, you do not, uh, you fight and war. Okay, this is the process that we go through when an unspirit, when an unspiritual, demonic and earthly desire is, is hindered or frustrated by a person, place or a thing. We murder and covet we fight and we war. Okay? We we become violent. We no longer care about the person on the other end. They're just an obstacle that's in our way, and we are going to remove them one way or another, and we don't care. Now, friends, I'm going to get political with you for just a minute. Not in right versus left, Republican versus Democrat don't care about that you see on both sides of the used on all the political dimensions you see the same thing when their desire is hindered how do they respond do they respond with peace loving and gentleness and compliance mercy and good fruits or do they desire or do they respond with murderousness covetousness violence And I feel like that whole thing, you could use that to describe the whole flavor 
of our current political debate in this country. Which should tell you that our political debate in this country right now is not inspired by the Spirit of God. Even people that name the name of Jesus, if they become murderous and covetous, <laughs> violent and, and oppressive to, to the other, they've not been inspired by the Spirit of God. I don't care what party they come from. I don't, none of that matters. James gives us a clear picture here of what it looks like to be led by the Spirit and what it looks like to be led around by the flesh. Bitter, bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition, murderous uh, intention, covetousness, and fighting and warring, or peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruit. That's it. And if we're to be led by the Spirit, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like peace-loving, gentleness, compliance, full of mercy and good fruit. Now, when I say compliant, I'm going to look at that Greek word for just a second here. It means ready, well-persuaded, willing to do what's best or favorable for all. Okay? That's what it means. Willing and ready to do what's best for everyone. That's a spirit-led person, and those are spirit-led desires. That's what they look like. But desires led by the flesh will stir us to all kinds of ugly behavior, ugly speech, ugly uh, thought processes and desires and feelings. Watch your heart. Watch your heart and notice. Is this coming from the spirit or is this coming from the flesh? Okay. Now he's going to start talking about prayer, which becomes that's that's uh, that's going to be a big topic in the next chapter. But he says, "You do not have because you do not ask." That's what Jesus taught us that we should pray. Uh, but you are asking, and you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. Now, you, if you thought my last sentence was scary, was was a little in your business, ready for this one? Spirit-aligned prayers get answered. Now, they may not get answered exactly the way we wanted them to, but they do get answered. How much praying have we done? that God has said no to. And we pointed the finger somewhere else other than God saying, you stopped God from doing what God wanted to do. When perhaps the first thing we should have done was check our own hearts. Why was I asking for this thing? And this is a conversation that I have with the Lord on a regular basis. Gotta be honest. Because I will come before him and say, Lord, this is what I want. And, and we should always name what we want with God. Don't be afraid to do that. I want, I come before him with completely honest, no guile, no game, nothing, and just say, this is what I want. Now, Father, you know, you know, and I don't really know. I don't, you know my motive. You know 
why I'm asking for this. I don't really know. I I hope I'm asking for kingdom reasons. I hope I'm asking out of love. I hope I'm asking led by the Spirit, but I might not be. Or maybe, and I, I always think of percentages, like maybe it's 90% Spirit-led and 10% my own heart, you know, my, my flesh. Uh, and we can do that, guys. That's possible. In fact, I think every single prayer we pray, there's a percentage of, of right motive and wrong motive that are intermixed. Um, and I, I just boldly pray the prayers that I want to pray and ask for the things that I want to ask. And I say, Lord, I don't know. I can't tell how much of this comes from an earthly motive and how much of this is coming out of alignment with you. So I leave that part to you. I trust you to judge me well and to judge this request well and to and to answer my prayer the best way possible. I trust you to do that, Father. So I leave this to you and I ask you, Lord, that in this process, let my let that percentage shift towards you and away from the flesh towards the spirit and so that's kind of how i pray i just put it out there say this is what i desire and 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 i let him deal with the why so now back to this idea that jesus wants to change our desires because it is our desires that cause strife in the church. At least our, our unholy desires, our fleshly-led desires, our earthly desires. Those are the desires that cause strife in the church. Because they lead us to be, uh, here's, a, here's a good word, for, peevish. Anybody know that one? They lead us to be nasty and mean and 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 harsh and judgmental our desires always lead us that way but the desires that we have received from the spirit the desires that are born as the fruit of the spirit uh will will lead us even when they're hindered that that desire will lead us to become more like jesus so jesus wants our desires to change he wants to change what we desire. He wants to change the things that we would ask for. He wants to change the things that we want. He really does. He wants to change that in us. He wants to, um, to, to teach us not to want things that aren't good for us. He wants to teach us not to want things that aren't really satisfying, but we think they are. He wants to teach us not to want things that, uh, that, that would steal from us, that would kill us, that would destroy us. He wants to teach us not to want things that are bad for us. Jesus wants his desire is to teach us uh, to desire what he desires. We used to pray this at the church a lot. Maybe we should pray it some more. I think we used to pray it every Sunday was, Lord, we want to love what you love. We want to hate what you hate. And this was my my way of praying into God. What I'm what I'm looking for, Father, is is the ability to share your desires, the ability to truly long for and want the things that you want. But. 
there are times when we want something God wants, but we, we, like God and I are after the same thing, but I want it for the wrong reason. I want it for, I have an ugly motive behind what I want. And here's the thing. This is, boy, Jesus is really demanding. Have you noticed this? Because he cares about the motive too. He cares about the end, about the means as much as the end. Uh, uh, one of my favorite preachers, uh, Brian Zahn, says that the, 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 the end doesn't justify the means. The means are the end in the process of becoming. I think that's fast. That's a great sentence. And the end does not justify the means. The means are the end in the process of becoming. What does that mean? If you're confused at all by that statement. The, that means that the way we reach for what we desire. is just as important as what we're reaching for. The way that we reach for what we desire is just as important as what we're reaching for. We may, like, I would, I would, I want to see uh, our church just packed out every Sunday full of people. I want to see that. I really do. And you know what? I think Jesus does too. I think Jesus wants to see our church packed out from front to back every single Sunday. I believe that. Uh, but there are Christ-like ways of pursuing that end, and there are unchristlike ways of pursuing that end. And the way that I reach for that end, even if it's an end that both God and I Agree on. Let's use one that's even less difficult. I, I, I know that God wants to provide for me. He wants to give me all the things that I need. Right? But there are godly ways. There, there, there are, there are godly ways to receive what I need. And then there are ungodly ways. Now, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to sell illicit drugs in order to make sure I have enough money to provide for myself and my family, that is not how God wants to provide for me. I'm sure you agree with that. If I'm going to use ungodly means to try and accomplish something that I know God wants to accomplish, it's a problem. It's a problem. And you might say, well, no, I mean, it doesn't, it, the ends do not justify the means. And it doesn't matter how important the end is. The ends don't justify, uh, don't reach back and justify bad means. It's That's not how it works. We have to be righteous both in our desire and in the way that we pursue that desire. We have to be righteous both in the thing that we are trying to accomplish and in the way that we are accomplishing it. We just, last week at church, 
went through the three temptations of Jesus. Okay, which is turn these rocks into bread. Worship me and you'll get all the kingdoms of this world. And throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple and everyone will recognize your Messiah. Those are the three temptations, right? That's that that the that Satan brings to Jesus in the wilderness. Turn these stones into bread, you won't be hungry anymore. Worship me and I'll give you rulership of all the kingdoms of the world. Jump from the pinnacle of the temple and everyone in Israel will know that you are Messiah. In all three of those temptations, it is not the end that's the problem. It's the means that are the problem. In all three, does God want Jesus to starve to death? No, he does not. So why would it be a sin for Jesus to turn the stones into bread? We talked about that then. I'm not going to go into all that now. Does God want Jesus to be king over all the nations of the earth? Yes, that's why he sent Jesus. But does he want to accomplish it by having Jesus worship Satan? <laughs> Obviously not. Does God want all of Israel to recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Yes, that is God's desire. But does God want to do that through Jesus leaping off the pinnacle of the temple and him being, you know, hovering to the ground as the, as the angels protect him? No, God does not want to do it that way. And we can talk all day long about, about how God does want to do, to do it. That's, that's a whole nother thing. But Jesus saying no to each of those things was not saying no to the end. Jesus was going to eat again. Jesus is the king over all of the nations of the, of the world. That's true now. Jesus is the king over all the nations of the world. That's true now. We'll talk about that more another time. And Jesus was fully revealed as Messiah to Israel and to the rest of the world. But he wasn't going to do it the devil's way. Because hidden in those means, hidden in that way, is the brokenness of sin and death. The motive, but not just the motive, the, uh, the motive in Jesus' heart. I believe in Jesus' heart the motive was correct. I don't think Jesus, Jesus wasn't a sinful man. I don't think Jesus had sinful motives. But this means of care of getting to that end are incorrect. Quite obviously. There's a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Both the what of our desire and the how of our desire have to be aligned with God's spirit. And when they are, we will see our prayers answered, but if they're not, God has work to do. Which means he's going to say, wait, or no, or not yet, when we pray. Because we aren't at the place where we need to be to receive that gift and not be destroyed by it. 
It's a lot. This is this is deep stuff, but it's so important. And James is saying, listen, that's why God hasn't said yes to your prayers just yet. He still has purifying work to do. He still has work to do on your heart to keep you from being destroyed by a yes to this desire. The desire is maybe, probably, righteous. But you're not ready to walk out the process or you're in process, God's process, to get you to that desire. You have to be patient. Following Jesus isn't easy. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross. If you want to gain your life, you're going to have to lose it. This is what he's talking about. This kind of stuff. Let's talk about prayer for just a minute. We need to recognize that prayer, um, the way that Jesus taught us to pray, is not about control. It's not about me asking God for the things that I need as much as it is about me trusting God for the things that I need and submitting my will to God's as he meets my needs. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is a prayer of trust and surrender, not of control. Yes, we're praying, give us this day our daily bread. But we're also praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray both of those prayers. And that's radically important. Prayer is about... Prayer is, is not about getting God to do what I want him to do. It's about expressing my need to a loving father who already has a plan. And as he reveals his plan to me, I can submit to it and see my needs met. I love God's word. Is it working on you? Is it messing with your head right now? I hope so. I hope so. Verse four. Adulteresses. Man. Man. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there's uh, there's a book called Hosea. And, and, and it's a prophet who goes and marries a prostitute, actually, who repeatedly cheats on him. Um, and, uh, he marries her because God told him to marry her because God knew he was going to, she was going to cheat on him. That's why. And God uses that as a picture of Israel and himself as a picture of the nation of Israel cheating on God with idols. So James is picking up that language here where we are entering into a covenant with Jesus we are his bride. He is our groom. And when we align our hearts with the world, we are cheating on him. 
<laughs> so he just points the finger right at us. This is so James. Adulterous. What? I, I didn't think. I, uh, ooh, I don't even know what to do with it. Don't you know, he says, that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. What, James, are you even saying? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay, so this goes back to the end of chapter one. Once again, that 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 chapter really laid out the whole book for us. Where he says true religion is, and he names off three things, controlling your tongue, taking care of the those who are, are, are less fortunate than us. And number three, remaining unstained by the world. And this is what he's talking about. He's going back. He's pointing back at that again. So what does he mean here by friendship with the world? Um, there's a whole lot of ways to take this wrong. Okay, does this mean that we shouldn't enjoy living in God's beautiful world? It's a sunny day. <laughs> does this mean that we shouldn't enjoy living in God's world? No, God created this world for our enjoyment and our love. That's not what he's talking about. Does this mean that we shouldn't have friends who aren't followers of Jesus? No, my goodness. <laughs> Please be friends. Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, you are the light of the world. Why would you hide it under a under a basket? Why, you know, we put, put your light on a lampstand, right? Shine before the whole world. What James is talking about is that we agree with the world about values, about uh, what is important. We agree with the world about certain groups of people. We agree with, when we agree with how the world feels and what the world wants, that's the friendship he's talking about. There was an idea that was very prevalent then, and actually it's very prevalent now, that friends become friends because they want the same thing. We, uh, I think Plato probably was the first one to talk about this, and I've only read bits and pieces of Plato. Don't consider me to be some kind of philosophy major or whatever, although I thought about it, but then I thought, you know, I'd like a job. Um, I'm sorry if you're a philosophy major. Uh, but uh, but um, he talked about that, that, that people tend to become friends because they have the same set of values. They, they care about the same things. It's hard to be friends with someone who just doesn't see the world the same way that you do. Uh, and, and, and so when he talks about the world here, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the system of the world, the flesh and the devil. That's the way that they used to say it back in the day, the world system, the way the kingdom of this world operates, what it loves, what it wants, how it works and what it does to get what it wants. These are the things it's the, that are the way of the flesh, the way of the world. Um, uh, I wrote a whole sermon of, 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 of how Paul uses the word flesh or sarks and the word spirit in the New Testament. And this isn't Paul, this is James, but the, but it's the same idea. Um, uh, I never preached that sermon. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll get to, but uh, uh, God went a different direction that Sunday. But, but, there, there is, the whole world works the same way, but the kingdom works differently. 
The whole world wants the same stuff, but the kingdom wants something else. The whole world pursues its desires in the same way, but the kingdom pursues its desires in a different way. And when we're more aligned with how the world works than we are with how the kingdom works, we become hostile towards God. Um, we can't do both. And you remember in the last chapter, he says, can, can bitter water and, and, and sweet water come out of the same, come out of the same fountain? Can, um, can, can salt water come out of the same spring as fresh water? No, no, it can't. And, and he's talking about the same thing. We're either a people led by the spirit or we're a people led by the world. And we need to be constantly striving to take up the way of Christ, the way of the cross, the way of the, of the spirit. We need to walk in step with the spirit. We need to learn how to dance. This is what we are called to do, to step into Jesus' way, not the world's way. And they're very different from each other. And James says, if you love the way of the world, then you hate the way of God because they are opposed to one another. They're oil and water. They can't mix. It doesn't work. They, they are absolutely at odds with each other. And honestly, friends, the reason that the American church is where it is today is because we wedded ourselves to, we, 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 we intermingled ourselves with a lot of the world's way. Consumerism. Being one of those. Nationalism being another. I know, I'm just... But it's true. And when our way is... When the way we do things, the way we think, and the way we feel, and what we love is more influenced by the world around us, the newscasters we watch, the politicians we vote for, than it is by our love for Jesus and our embracing of his way. We've lost it. We've lost it. We've lost our witness. We've lost, we've lost it. We've become hostile towards God. And it happens slowly and it happens almost imperceptibly, but it happens. It's a powerful thing that's very much at work in us. And we need to recognize it for what it is. It's there. And God help us. I love this next verse. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? Oh, the spirit who lives within us, the Holy Spirit, that is, yearns. I love that word to yearn. It's actually becoming a kind of a popular word in, uh, in, in internet circles right now, but yearns jealously. What does that mean? That means God bought you with a price and you belong to him and he doesn't want you 
to belong to anyone or anything else. You're his. And he burns for you. He burns to make you his own a hundred percent to draw you out of the entanglement and the dis of the world and set you free from that garbage and to set you loose into the life of God, wanting what he wants, desiring what he desires, submitting our hearts to him 100% because he loves us too much to let the world and the devil steal us from him. And he loves us, the world and the devil, everything they want leads to death, dissatisfaction, bitter envy, strife, all of these horrifying things, everything that they, that the world and the devil and the flesh have taught us to desire is always going to lead us down a path that leads us to death and destruction. Every time. But our God is a consuming fire. That's what it says in Hebrews 12. Our God is a consuming fire. What is he consuming? The fire of his love is burning away everything in us that's not of love's kind. The fire of God is burning away everything inside of us that isn't like love. That isn't love. Come, Holy Spirit, and burn in me and burn away everything that's not of love's kind. Burn away everything in me that does not align with you, the fiery burning of your great heart. In Jesus' name, our God is a consuming fire. And the closer you get to him, the more you get refined. But if that picture uh, is scary, it's and and it should be. We don't need to be afraid because he gives greater grace. Verse six. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The more we fight against this process, the more painful it will be. The more that we hold tight to our way of understanding the world, the harder it's going to be. He's going to have to pry our fingers off of that thing. I had a vision one time years ago of the bride of Christ with her veil down over her face. And she had a hold of that veil so hard that her fingers were bleeding. And Jesus was coming so gently saying, I just want to kiss you. Let, let me, I just want you to see me better. Let me take this veil out from in front of your eyes. And she couldn't do it. She was, she was holding on so tightly to this veil that was covering her face that, that, that Jesus, Jesus had to, had to, had to, had to slowly, gently, lovingly move her fingers because she had held on so tightly for so long. She couldn't even open her fingers anymore. She no longer had the capacity to do so.
We so love our way of viewing the world. We so love our own understandings. We so love our own desires. But God's calling us and he's saying, I have to resist the proud in order to set them free. I can't let the proud follow their pride all the way to death. I can't. I love them too much. So I resist the proud. But if you are humble and if you trust me and if you let go and let me lead you, we can walk beautifully, blissfully, peacefully into the life that I've called you to. He gives grace to the humble. With the proud, he refuses to cooperate with their foolish notions of self-sufficiency. That that sentence hurts so much. (laughs) God, listen to me. God refuses to cooperate with your foolish notions of self-sufficiency. He will set you free from the cage of self-sufficiency and teach you to trust in him. And you know what? He'll go a long way to do it. He did for Jacob. He put Jacob's hip out of socket in order to teach him that the only person he could trust was God. Whew, glory. (laughs) God, because he loves us, stands opposed to all within us that would steal us from him. But to those of us humble enough to ask him for help, you know, Jesus talked about it's easier for a a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about. A rich man would tend to be more proud and self-sufficient. And the only way in to the kingdom is trusting God to take care of you. Okay, that's it for tonight. Father, we need this. Help us, Lord. Teach us. Give us good things. Oh, God, this is a hard one. Oh, fill us up with your fire. Burn away all that keeps us from you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you, friends. Have a blessed week and evening.